The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Good morning, food lovers. Because a meal is a terrible thing to waste, we hope that you'll feed your insatiable appetite by tuning in this morning. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, KFWB, News Talk 980, gain culinary intelligence right here and right now. Because if you're passionate about the process, if you love discovering that perfect recipe, carefully selecting your ingredients, adding those special touches to make the meal uniquely your own, then you can elevate your passion just by staying tuned. We're hoping to make every Sunday and every day more delicious for you. And if you love to cook or love to eat, as I like to say, then we can definitely be friends. We're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. Become a fan and a friend at Chef Jamie Gwen. And why not savor the flavor? Because it is a weekend of celebration and we love anything having to do with fabulous feasts. Right, Lana? Yes. So, Seeing that tonight is Oscar night, what is on your Oscar-worthy menu? We're looking forward to movie night, of course, and we're going to be dishing on wine pairing and uh, Wolfgang Puck's menu coming up for the Governor's Ball. Mm, and I do think Gravity should win for Best Picture. Yes, and, and I'm going for Dallas Buyers Club, so... <gasps> And may the best movie win. (laughs) We're also celebrating Mardi Gras in two places in the world, in fact. Coming up Fat Tuesday, of course, this week. And Mardi Gras in New Orleans, the traditional celebration. And then also in Italy, Carnivale is going on. Prior to the Easter holiday, we thought we would bring you some really beautiful information about the extraordinary food in Italy, where to eat, where to go, and all of that conversation coming up this hour. But first, we thought we'd kick off and hopefully inspire some extraordinary dishes in your kitchen with a conversation that Lana and I have been talking about all week. We received uh, an email question, and by the way, you can always email us, live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com, asking for some breakfast inspiration. And we love breakfast for dinner, both of us, and maybe it's because you raised me that way, Mom. Mm -hmm. But it's not the traditional breakfast that you scarf down before you have to get out of the house to the office or to school or otherwise. What I love is that you can enjoy a big breakfast as the day is winding down and you really get to savor, I would say, uh, the comforting flavors. So if you love breakfast for dinner, these are some of our best ideas. Do you want to kick us off? Lana, because I I love the idea of savory and sweet combined, Mm -hmm. Um, but oftentimes making breakfast for dinner can be very economical and it can be a quick cook too. So if you're in a pinch, breakfast is a great go-to. It's there are so many great dishes to have for dinner breakfast wise. Yes, that's true. And one of my favorites, and I think if everyone could learn to do this, it would be such an interesting dinner for everyone. It's deep fried eggs. 
bacon and eggs, well, right? I do with it with bacon and eggs with a vinaigrette. Right. And so those top. fabulous foodies that are thinking to themselves, how do you deep fry an egg? It's mm-hmm. the process you see in a lot of our favorite Asian restaurants as well, where it's tempura battered and fried, but the egg needs to be cooked in advance. And yours is not hard boiled. In fact, yours is a process that's sort of coming into play in a lot of restaurant mm-hmm. kitchens, in fact. Most definitely so. You take a... Uh, a a small white ramekin, right? And uh, you line it with plastic wrap, right? And then I put in uh, finely chopped up bacon and parsley, right? And then break an egg into it, mm-hmm. and then wrap it up in a pouch. Make it twist it at the top like a beggar's purse mm-hmm. or I tie mine with kitchen twine you should know by the way that this method of poaching an egg in plastic uh, is one that was first were taught to me by Thomas Keller mm-hmm. so I know that process because of Keller and I will say um, that it has gotten me far um, because I will um, with great humility tell you that I actually poached an egg in plastic wrap in the microwave Uh, Because I had no other choice on Cutthroat Kitchen on the Food Network, and I was proud to take that win home. It's the concept of taking this beggar's perch, uh, beggar's purse pouch, rather, and dropping it into boiling water rather than letting the egg itself swirl in the water like a traditional poaching method. And it cooks a little longer than a traditional poached egg. If you poach an egg, I count uh, to two and a half minutes. That's the perfect mm-hmm. yolk to me in a slow simmer. This takes about four minutes or yes, more in the plastic yes. pouch. But when you take it out, you have what is essentially like a big oversized golf ball mm-hmm. of an egg with the yolk suspended in the middle. And this is how you then take it to the fryer, right? So you take that mm-hmm. bacon and eggs that you've already cooked and you finish it by frying right, it. Right, but you have to chill it. Once you yes. have poached it and made it into that looks like white egg, a white ball. Right. You have to chill it and then uh, uh, go from there. Right. I love the idea of something new and different and innovative. It's a, a brilliant brunch. You can make it in advance. I think it's fun and different. And that's what breakfast oh. for dinner is mm-hmm. to me. I always keep pizza dough, as you know, in the mm-hmm. fridge, right? Because you could make a quick pizza at any time. But consider a breakfast pizza. Because I could eat pizza anytime, night or day. But I like to change things up. So I'll keep the crust or the dough ready to be stretched and then either mm-hmm. thrown on the grill because I love the flavor of the smoky barbecue uh, and of course you could always put it on a pizza stone or right on a baking sheet and put it right into the oven but I think it's the perfect vessel to hold typical breakfast style foods so sometimes I'll spread pesto and then lots of delicious white melting cheese and then I'll put a couple of fried eggs on top and I have a white breakfast pizza oh, you nice. could go marinara I mean you could even go um, country gravy and put chicken from, you know, leftover fried chicken, rotisserie, store-bought or homemade, uh, home-roasted right on top and uh, make a southern fried chicken pizza. Mm. I mean, you can go lots of different ways, but I-, I love the consideration of breakfast for dinner, even a great saute of veg, you know, to go meatless Monday and uh, take a vegetarian approach and then put that fried egg on top as well for mm-hmm. a protein boost. It's a great way to use up leftovers that it at is. dinner time. And yeah. I also love love a Tuscan poached egg mm. and so mm. easy to open up a can of high quality diced tomatoes. Right. 
mix it with some uh, garlic and thyme and then uh, just crack some eggs right on top of it and put it in the oven. Right. And it goes right into a high-sided saute pan. Now, I know some Italians that call that eggs in purgatory, just so you know. (laughs) And you could start with tomato sauce from a jar or homemade if you want it as well. Or I like the idea, too, if you're a salsa lover, starting with your favorite spicy salsa and putting it into uh, a, a Spanish-style dish, which makes me think of and inspires me to make chilequiles. I love chilequiles. I never met anybody that didn't love chilequiles. And it's the idea of sort of double-fried tortilla chips. I know that sounds indulgent, but you take already crispy fried tortilla chips and you saute them in oil, and you can add your favorite spices in a shallow saute pan. And then you add beaten eggs and your favorite salsa, and you get this combination of um, just beginning to soften tortilla chips with rich scrambled eggs and a spicy salsa kick. Mm. That's a killer breakfast. <laughs> now, we haven't mentioned hash. Oh, let's talk hash. Doing a uh, pulled pork and potato hash. Nice. is really lovely with some poached eggs and avocado. It's marvelous. Mm, that sounds um, delicious. And that's wonderful. And let's not forget egg foo young for breakfast. <laughs> I love where you're going. Uh, put some chicken and mushrooms in it, and it's a great breakfast. That's really fun. Okay, I'm coming to your house okay. for breakfast for dinner. Great. Um, you can find more delicious inspiration, in fact, including a healthy multigrain waffle batter that I posted at chefjamie.com so that you can make waffles in advance of breakfast or breakfast for dinner. Actually, a great thing to f- throw into the freezer and then pop in the toaster when you make your own homemade waffles just before you're leaving in the morning for the kids. You can even take it hot uh, in the the car or on your way to the office too and then it makes a delicious dinner because it can go to the savory side mm. where you can put it with a beautiful slice of crispy prosciutto and fry an egg on top and you've got um, a meal that any waffle lover will love and the other day at a wonderful lunch we had yes. at Marche Modern yes uh, he put some creme fraiche between it and served it with gravlocks uh, waffles can go a long way that, that way. was a delicious waffle mm-hmm. sandwich yes chef Laurent He's quite a talent. You can be a talent in the kitchen, too. You just have to think like a chef. By the way, the Think Like a Chef feature this week is all about the virtues of hot sauce. So we post a feature that we hope makes you a better cook in your own kitchen at chefjamie.com, and it changes every week. And I have been on a hot sauce kick. And just so you know, I am about to marry a hot sauce addict. (laughs) And the truth is that hot sauce production is one of the fastest growing industries in the U.S. It's a hot sauce world world and the hot sauce industry has never been hotter sorry i had to go there if you stroll down the condiment aisle there is definitely a dizzying array of bottles it's a 240 million dollar industry right now and i think even cooks who don't crave spicy food should keep a bottle on hand because it does give your recipe a little kick now i like a hot sauce that packs more than just a fiery punch i like heat and bright tanginess and all-around good chili flavor and there are thousands of brands of hot sauce made from a wide array of chilies. But just so you know, the spiciness of the hot sauce is determined by the Scoville heat unit scale. And the Scoville scale measures the levels of capsicum that that is the chemical that lends chili peppers their hotness. So the scale measures how hot each chili is. And from a neutral bell pepper to um, what is considered now a scorpion chili,
chili the hottest chili in the world? It is, was a is, ghost chili prior. I was going to say, is that hotter than a ghost chili? It is. It's getting hotter. And that's because our palates are loving heat. So I've listed my top eight favorite hot sauces when they were founded. Like, did you know that Tabasco started in 1868? Tapatio in 1971. And then the Sriracha craze, 1980, the first inception of that red garlicky fiery lovely delicious sauce that we're crazy about but homemade hot sauce uh can be completely tailored to your flavor profile. I'm so glad you said that. So there was this incredible piece on Tasting Table with Jose Enriquez, an incredibly talented chef who's gaining popularity in this country very quickly. And he makes his own homemade hot sauce with a multitude of chilies. He spreads it on a wooden cutting board and he has all of his friends come over. It's almost like oil-based hot sauce. It's a dipper. And he breaks like, bread and they dip in the hot sauce. What a great idea. I was drooling oh. watching the video. I am attempting to make that hot sauce this week and I'll I'll be sure to follow up and tell you how it turns out, but you can check it out again at chefjamie.com. You'll find the weekly dish. You'll find the cook with Lana recipe, which I love as well. Um, you actually put together a soup this week that I thought was wonderful oh. for those of our friends who are still enduring the cold. Oh, oh and a little the, bit of rain here in Southern California. The cream of asparagus soup, which is marvelous and you could really use any vegetable vegetable in this it could be uh, become a cream of any vegetable soup cream of anything i and like it i pureed all the vegetables and then sauteed them Smart. It's so quick and easy. Smart, smart, smart. We've also been talking about where to shop, where to get the best ingredients and the best value. And we're proud to have Smart and Final on board with us again. And I'm proud to shop at Smart and Final. I did as a professional chef in professional kitchens and as a home cook. And what I think is really wonderful is that if you haven't been to a Smart and Final store lately, you should really check it out because it's the new Smart and Final, making you rethink the way that you shop because it's the low prices of a Walmart, the big sizes of a Costco, but no membership fees. You don't have to take an unflattering photo. You don't have to carry a card, but you get private brands. You get weekly specials that are incredible. And I will say Smart and Final stores are all new and better than ever. So be sure to check it out and check out their weekly specials too. They've got avocados on special and the best price I've ever seen on eggs this week. You'll find more information at smartandfinal.com, but do stay tuned because come Coming up, Katie Parla is live from Rome. She's sharing about Carnivale in Italy and her best restaurant picks in Rome for your next planned travel. Also, Allison Crary, the winemaker from Sterling Vineyards, is bringing us to the Governor's Ball tonight for the Oscars and Mardi Gras recipes inspired by a true New Orleans native, Chef Giselle Perez, before the end of the hour. Stay tuned. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. It's delicious. It's divine. It's food and wine. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio and keeping you in the know. Oh, the pizza, the gelato. We love Italy. And of course, traveling to the world's most gourmet destinations because you get to discover unique flavors and culinary identities. So we're bringing back the travel guru, one of our experts, our residents here in your radio to bring us the latest goings on in the world of food, drink and travel, specifically in Italy. She is Katie Parla, 
the Rome-based food and beverage educator and journalist you've heard on this program before. She has an art history degree from Yale, a master's degree in Italian gastronomic culture, and an archaeological certification from the city of Rome. Yes, she's brilliant, and she's a foodie, which is why we love her even more. We're delighted to have you back, Katie. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me back. Yes, of course. Okay, talk to us if you would, because... This particular radio program is all about Carnival, and it's actually in two places in the world. So while we have some Mardi Gras conversation coming up in New Orleans later in the hour, we're talking about Carnivale in Italy, a celebration equally as joyous and festive and quite delicious as well, right? Definitely. It's less debauched than the New Orleans version, (laughs) but the origins are similar. You want to consume as many calories and have as much fun as you can before Lent when you have to give up sugar and a huge litany of delicious things. Right. And so what do you eat specifically to celebrate Carnivale in Italy? There are, I would say, two very typical things that you find all over the peninsula. Um, Frappe, also known as chiacchiere, Um, are traditionally deep-fried strips of dough that are Mm. sweetened Mm. with confectioner's sugar or drizzled with honey, Mm. Um, and those are delightful. And uh, castagnole as well. (laughs) Castagnole, those are the donut holes, yes? Exactly. They look like donut holes. Their name, though, derives from the Italian word for chestnut because they're about chestnut size. Oh, very little ones. Yes. Yeah. Which are lovely. And both Mm. of those, Lana, right up your alley because it's almost like the best of an American fritter. Right, totally. in, in two different ways. And then I love that you eat the ravioli dolci, which These is delicious, right? They're filled with sweetened ricotta and jam, at mm. least the way that we've had them. And I know you call them by lots of different names, but that is just ultimately crispy and sweet and so indulgent and I think beautifully celebratory. And that's one of those carnivale traditions that took off, and now you can find them throughout the year. So mm. while chiacchiere and castagnole are really hyper-specific to the pre-Lenten period, you can find your ravioli dolci, these fried shortbread crusts filled with sweet fillings year-round, which is pretty exceptional. Mm. I have but any of them filled with custard? You can find uh, various donuts, especially in the northern, more Germanic part of Italy, cream or custard or jelly. And then, of course, zeppole, similar to beignet, are deep-fried chou pastry filled with custard. Those are typical of the central and southern part of Italy, but you can find them in Rome as well. I Mm. think it's so amazing, actually, the connection to Carnivale, to Mardi Gras, where there are the similarities of eating the indulgence, the fried, the sweet, the celebration. And one of the things that we love about Rome is that it's so very food-centric, and it's certainly what you've based what we think is a very brilliant blog of yours on. So for those that are looking to experience great travel, Katie is your Rome expert. Talk to us, if you would, about the great many events that are coming up at the Vatican. There's much food to be eaten as well, we understand. Absolutely. The Vatican is the number one most visited destination in Rome, even though it technically is a separate nation. Um, (laughs) But uh, it has seen record visitors last year, and I'm sure we'll see another record this year. Holy Week, um, which is coming up in April, is always very well attended. Of course, Easter Sunday sees a huge number of pilgrims descend on Rome. And then the following week, the very last week in April, the last Sunday in April, the Pope is going to canonize two very important former popes, 
John Paul II and John the Twenty Third. So I would suggest coming either before Easter or after Easter to get the best of it. But even if you're in Rome during the super busy time, you can just go a few blocks north of the Vatican and find residential streets not crowded with tourists mm. and fantastic food at places like Romeo, which is like sort of a bakery, wine bar, restaurant all under one roof. They have exceptional burrata. Oh, like, wait, wait, wait. You just, you just said the word from God. <laughs> that is one of our, and I'll speak for Lana, both of us, top five favorite foods, mm-hmm. because I believe oh, yeah. that burrata was created by a cheese god Definitely. who said, let's create the most extraordinarily sensual experience in texture and flavor and mouthfeel, and it's we'll so call it cheese. <laughs> I mean, it's extraordinary. What makes the burrata the best at Romeo? The burrata that's served at Romeo, which happens to be the same served at Rosholi, is produced exclusively for those two mm, establishments, right. which are run by the Rosholi family. So they have a really great connection that delivers the burrata fresh. Burrata is a super milky, creamy cheese, and so needs to be consumed as soon as possible after it's produced. And because they do such great business, they're able to import a lot from the southern part of Italy, specifically Andrea, where it's made and keep it fresh coming in all the time. Are they putting burrata on pizzas in Rome now? They are. And in fact, a place not far from the Vatican called Pizzarium serves burrata on pizza as one of its many, many different toppings. Um, Mm -hmm. Often the burrata at Pizzarium is seasoned with a little bit of shaved mullet roe called butarga. Yes, um, we love Botarga. Uh, vegetables. Yeah. Botarga is pretty exceptional as well. It really is. And to shave it with a microplane grater and just get the essence of the, the salty brininess over pasta, I so think amazing. is oh one of the most beautiful garnishes. Where are you eating in Rome nowadays? I know it's like picking your favorite child, but choose <laughs> one place and give us an insider's note, if you would, to uh, a restaurant find of late. I've been spending a lot of time in the central part of Rome, um, where I love to go to Rosholi. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with burrata like you guys are. Yes. And they do a really nice plate of burrata, which they'll pair with either cured anchovies from the Cantabrian coast or semi-sun-dried tomatoes from southern Italy. Mm. Um, if I want a hearty pasta, they do a spectacular carbonara. Yes, um, I, read about, I read about an article you recently wrote about that carbonara and it inspired me, Katie. I actually did a feature on um, how to think like a chef and make the ultimate traditional Italian-style carbonara. How'd it turn out? Brilliant, if I may awesome. say myself. <laughs> Lana loved it. Yes, fabulous. (laughs) Just wonderful. But aren't there many different versions? The traditional carbonara is so hard to define because, well, you can open up a lot of different cookbooks and they'll say this is the recipe. The fact of the matter is some people in Rome make it with cured pork jowl. Some people make it with the addition of some egg white. Mm -hmm. Um, Others only use egg yolk. Some Mm -hmm. people use cured pork belly or pancetta. Some use the smoked version of guanciale or pancetta. So you have all these slight variations and permutations. And there's one chef who doesn't use black pepper in his carbonara. Black pepper is one of the principal ingredients that you find in 99.9% of the recipe. But he claims... 
Carbonara was a peasant dish. Peasants couldn't afford pepper, so he excludes it. And they haven't shunned him yet? He's one of the most beloved chefs in Rome. His name is Arcangelo Dandini, and the gastronomes of the city worship him. Wow. Wow. I, I would like his food because I do believe that too much pepper is used today. Sometimes yes, it takes over the dish. I have to agree. I would love, Katie, to eat there with you. So we'll have to plan a trip. <laughs> If you would leave us with this, we know being an American living in Rome, you have a very different perspective and something that we really appreciate when it comes to your travel advice. So what would you tell our listeners, travel travelers that are uh, planning a trip or uh, experiencing Italy this year? I would say as you're planning your trip, familiarize yourself with Italian holidays, mm. uh, particularly coming up in a very busy time. Between April and early May, there are lots of holidays that fall on Thursdays or Fridays, which means a lot of people are going to be taking off work. So you might have the city to yourself on the April 25th to May 1st holiday period, and that could be really rewarding. Hmm. We can't wait to eat with you again in Rome, even if it is virtually. Katie. Okay, we're going to start with fried apple. I was going to say, <laughs> if you could please bring over the ravioli <laughs> dolce, that'd be great. And we would send, love send to... Send me your carbonara and we've got a deal. Okay, good. A good trade. We would love to dish with you again on Italy in the coming weeks and months. So please come back and we hope yes, that will. you will stay tuned as we take to travel and food and fabulous new discoveries. You can learn more about Katie Parla, her writing and her tours on her website where there is a direct link to her blog as well. Go to katieparla.com, K-A-T-I-E-P-A-R-L-A.com. There's more delicious conversation in your radio, so please stay with us. We'll be right back. Hooray for Hollywood, that phony super coney Hollywood. Welcome back, food and wine lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio. It is Hollywood's biggest night tonight, no doubt. The Oscars, of course. And for movie buffs and dedicated hosts that are laying out the red carpet, you're welcoming friends to an evening of fun and food and hopefully fabulous libations. We believe that every great Oscar party deserves fabulous wine, of course. And so we have a repeat guest we're delighted to have back joining us in your radio. She is the winemaker responsible for creating this year's Oscar Governor's Ball Wines. And she is a noted female winemaker. As the winemaker of Sterling Vineyards, Allison Crary brings extraordinary wines not only to our tables, but to celebrations across the country and around the world. And we're taking some of the mystery out of winemaking, and she's sharing some of her best tips to make tonight's celebration a sure hit. We're delighted to have you back. Allison, welcome. Thanks for having me back, Jamie. Yes, of course. Okay, so we're celebrating our favorite films and our favorite wines, and that's, of course, what you're doing for all of the fabulous actors and the talent and um, those that are attending all of the Oscar festivities. So um, share some of the fun facts, if you would, because I always love to know how much they'll be drinking. Sure. <laughs> well, I think everybody loves all the facts that go with something as you know, big and grandiose as the uh, Oscars. And um, this evening, we will actually be prepared to serve about 2,628 bottles of wine to mm. our guests. It's important to note that while it sounds like a very large number of bottles, these wines will be served throughout the course of the evening. They will be available during the aperitif as all of the red carpet guests start walking into the theater 
they'll be available during the telecast, and then there'll also be wines available after the event at the Governor's Ball itself. You're sharing uh, bubbles, white and red, a variety of different sterling varietals? For the red carpet and Academy Awards themselves, we'll be sharing four of our sterling Napa Valley wines. Um, It'll be our sterling Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc, our sterling Napa Valley Chardonnay, our sterling Napa Valley Pinot Noir, and our sterling Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. And then at the Governor's Ball itself, of course, for an event like that, when you have really the glitterati of Mm. Hollywood involved and Wolfgang Puck, an amazingly creative chef and very well-known chef, We'll be serving uh, our reserve tier wines. So we have our 2010 uh, Sterling Vineyards Napa Valley Reserve Chardonnay and our 2008 Napa Valley Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon. So these wines are very small production, just a few hundred cases that we make each year. I think those wines really match the opulence and the luxuriance of the evening. Definitely so. I happen to have a long history long ago with Wolfgang Puck, and it's actually his 20th consecutive year creating oh, the menu for the Governor's Ball. There are 50 selections of tray past orders, my understanding is. That's right. um, there are small plates that in the last few years have, of course, become all the rage, and he's designed his big award celebrations menus around small tastes. And we got a sneak peek of the menu. So I thought if I threw some of the ideas out, you would pair for us, if you would, the best bottle so that you can inspire us, maybe uh, whether our menu includes some of the Wolfgang Puck greats, or if we can tie into whether it be the savory dish, the protein focus or otherwise, Mm -hmm. then we'll gain some wine knowledge from you. We know that Wolfgang is sharing a chicken pot pie this year. And mm-hmm. from what I understand, it is being generously shaved with black truffles, which mm-hmm. makes me, yes, slightly jealous that I'm not there. I have truffle envy. Mm-hmm. But it's not the easiest pairing. We talk often on this show about asparagus, artichokes, and mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to know uh, what it is that you would pair alongside the pot pie. Oh, absolutely. Well, it, you're right. Truffles and mushrooms can be, they can be a little bit tricky, but I actually love the very savory nature of truffles. They definitely have a lot of those mushroom characters. They Mm. also have a little bit of a garlic or an oniony kind of aroma to them as well. And within the flavors of a chicken pot pie, you know, that's just uh, sort of this, it's almost like a warm hug, a Mm. a chicken pot pie. It really wraps you and envelops you in its its warmth and and comfort. And then you just add this incredible decadence of the truffles on top. Mm. Um, I would pair that either with our um, Napa Valley Chardonnay or our Sterling Vineyards Napa Valley um, Pinot Noir. Um, Some people might say, well, you know, with chicken, do you really want to have a red wine? But Pinot Noir is a very light red wine, as you know. It's lighter in body, a little bit lighter in color. The tannins are not so heavy. And the great thing about Pinot Noir is it really has a sort of underbrushy forest floor, fall walk in the woods kind Mm. of aroma to it that pairs so beautifully with anything with mushrooms in it. Yeah, I think that's a perfect compliment. And you you get the brightness of Pinot, but the complexity, Mm -hmm. the peppery finish often. And I think that is a beautiful pairing to what can be, I love how you call it a hug in a bowl. There is a rumor too that Wolfgang is introducing a new 
aspect to the governor's ball menu this year, and that is a new station of sorts. So we know the mashed potato bar has had its day in the sun. Lots of very individual portion and very personally focused sort of tables of food where you get to choose what goes on, what your topping is per se. Mm -hmm. And so there's a personal pizza party, I understand, Mm -hmm. that's going to happen at the governor's ball tonight. And I love the idea of simulating that at home, inviting your friends over, having a pizza party, watching the Oscars and drinking a really great wine. Because I'm all about pizza and Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. Very often, I think there is nothing wrong as a professional chef. We can't cook all the time Mm -hmm. with ordering great pizza and opening a really nice bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you were coming to my pizza party, what bottle would you bring? And by the way, you're invited. Oh, great. Well, thank you. (laughs) I I would love to. I think with pizza, it really allows you to be very, very creative. And again, this is something that, I mean, Pizza has been so connected with Wolfgang Puck for so many years. He's obviously very um, creative in his varieties of pizzas that he puts together, but it's also something that any home chef around the country should be able to translate into their, you know, into their very own um, idea or version for their own Academy Awards party. And I think um, it allows you to have or to create a lot of different pizzas that would pair with different wines. For instance, if I think about our Napa Valley Chardonnay, that might be fun to have with a uh, like a white pizza, so no mm. tomato sauce, but nice. just have some fresh mozzarella or some fontina on there, mm. and um, maybe a crumble of mushrooms, goat cheese too. Goat cheese would be fantastic. Lots of fresh herbs, fresh mm-hmm. thyme leaves, even Definitely. tarragon in there. Nice. Oh, tarragon would be fantastic on there as well, and that would really pair with the bright acidity and sort of rich creamy finish that's on our 2012 Napa Valley Chardonnay, then other kinds of toppings that you could have. One of the things that I know Wolfgang is planning on bringing out this evening are some very crisp, tender, uh, sautéed fresh vegetables that would Mm. go on top of the pizza. So very lightly sautéed bell peppers and squash and just really retaining the flavor of all of those wonderful, bright, crisp vegetables. I think that would also pair very nicely with the Chardonnay. I like the idea of offering multiple varietals, which leads me to my last question for Mm -hmm. you. I think any gathering of friends and family or any celebration is a wonderful opportunity for us to test our palates, to explore and I think expand our horizons when it comes to wine. And tonight Mm -hmm. would be a really perfect time to do a mini wine tasting or Mm -hmm. flights of wine. So if you would give us your best tip when it comes to tasting new wines and exploring the world of wine. One of the best things that you can do in terms of exploring the world of wines is certainly opening bottles when you have a lot of friends around or a lot Mm -hmm. of family around because it allows you to try a lot of different wines. Um, It allows you to share those different wines. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of times it's I don't know for everybody, but at least for me, you know, it's a little difficult to get through a whole bottle. I don't want to drink a whole bottle on my own, and I don't want the wine to go to waste. I don't want it to stay open for too long. So I really try to encourage people when they're trying to learn about wine. It's absolutely best to do it in a group. So an event like the Oscars, when you're already inviting friends and family over, is a terrific time to open up some new bottles of wine that you'd like to try. Mm -hmm. You could set it up in a way that you either try 
for instance, with sterling, you could try several different varietals from the same producer, from the same region. So the four varietals that I mentioned, uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Na- uh, Pinot Noir, and Cabernet Sauvignon, all from the Napa Valley. Well, that's a nice idea. Yeah, you really get the chance to try what the entire valley has to offer. It's Lovely. a very small valley. It's only mm-hmm. about 26 miles long. And you have very extreme climates from one end to the other. So the northern end of the valley is very, very warm, great for Bordeaux varietals like Cabernet and Sauvignon Blanc. Mm -hmm. And then the southern end of the valley, down by the San Pablo Bay, the San Francisco Bay, much cooler, really shines when it comes to Burgundian varietals like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. It's an overview, really, of the entire valley and what the valley has to offer. I think that's fabulous. Yeah, really the sky's the limit. Your creativity is the limit for wine tasting. And so we intend to open bottles of Sterling, knowing, in fact, that some of the bottles being offered tonight, some of your varietals specific to the Governor's Ball celebration and festivities are being offered at retail on a national level. So please look for Sterling Vineyards when you go shopping for your next great bottle. And you can't possibly cheer on your favorite movies tonight or your favorite stars without some sustenance. So find a menu at chefjamie.com. There'll be a direct link so that you can learn more about Allison Crary and Sterling Vineyards and her winemaking practices as well. And then sit down, enjoy, and celebrate because it is a night for, no doubt, fabulous food, fine wine, and the best movies of the year. Allison, always a pleasure. Thank you for celebrating with us. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you, Jamie. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Don't go away. It's delicious, it's divine, it's food and wine, and we're in your radio, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana. Laissez le bon temps rouler. That's right, Mardi Gras is just around the corner. And if you can't make it to the French Quarter this year, then why not celebrate by cooking up some gumbo or frying up some okra or making a forgotten native recipe that's being revived in the Big Easy She is Chef Giselle Perez, and she joins us live, a recognized blogger and columnist and a New Orleans native, and she's here to share her roots, delicious ones, in fact, and we're delighted. Welcome to the show, Giselle. Thank you very much. Yes, of course. Okay, tell us what's on your Mardi Gras menu, because I started planning mine already. You know, I love any opportunity or chance for a celebration. A few years back, I interviewed T. Adlai Martin from Commanders, and she especially talked about pasta jambalaya, which is, you know, it's not really traditional. We are rice eaters traditionally. Right. But I think I'm going to try pasta jambalaya for Mardi Gras this year. I love the idea. So a a seafood base, or what's your plan for protein? I like to mix seafood, sausage, maybe a little chicken all together in the tomato sauce. Nice. I like the idea that you think outside the box, because I think there are wonderful ways to modernize cuisines, but still keep their inherent tradition. So I took the best of gumbo, in fact, for Super Bowl this year, just a few weeks ago now. And for the big game, I made a gumbo dip. So I took everything I loved about gumbo and made it cheesy and like bubbly and delicious. What is it that retained the gumbo-ness? Well, I mean, it has a roux cooked Uh down and that's the base of the cheese sauce. I did scallops and shrimp and lots of Creole seasoning And lots of fabulous flavor that was just reminiscent to me of my time in New Orleans and training there. And the flavor profile would be a resemblance of, sort of like the pasta jambalaya recipe. As a New Orleans native, I would love if you would clarify 
the types of cuisine that we find in the Big Easy as we lead up to Mardi Gras, Creole versus Cajun, because I think so it's funny. so important. It is important, and people argue back and forth about it a lot. And I used to say all the time that Cajun was kind of the country cousin of Creole cuisine. The Cajun people settled on the bayou. They're hunters, they're trappers, fishermen, and they have a much more rustic style of cooking. The Creole cuisine is sort of the French hot cuisine equivalent to provincial cuisine. Yes. More refined, more use of sauces, more center-of-the-plate kind of dishes as opposed to one-pot meals. For me, that's the difference. There may be people who will really disagree with that. And which style do you cook from, or your family roots? What did they form for you as a cook, as a chef? My family roots were definitely the city people. We have very little relationship with Cajun country. You know, and then when I'm middle-aged now, I'll say, and when I was a kid, Cajun was kind of looked down on, you know. I mean, you didn't really want to be caught eating Cajun-style food, although people did. So we're very much in the Creole tradition. There's this wonderful tradition that you speak about, and thank you. We have posted your recipe and the photo at chefjamie.com, where we're always serving up seconds. And there is a direct link, by the way, to get you to Giselle, because she has a beautiful blog at panperdublog.com. But I love this story of, in the early 20th century, the Creole street vendors who sold this similar to a beignet, but rice-based treat called a collage, right? And I believe you're committed to bringing it back. My mom used to tell us stories all the time of her grandmother, and this was one of the main stories that her grandmother, she was widowed young, and she started a business where she would sell kalas, and she would go around to bars, she would go to the early morning mass, just wherever she could to sell her kalas. Unfortunately, a lot of the old Creole dishes, people don't make quite as much at home anymore because they're time-consuming and because they don't have big families and because women work outside the homes now. So it wasn't something that was really made a lot anymore, only for very, on rare occasions. And I had been bugging mom to buy me a recipe for this because I wanted to try them out. And she said, well, you know, Louie makes them. And so we drove about an hour outside of L.A. We drove out there. And I just, I really recommend doing this with older relatives for anybody because he loved making them. I watched him step by step. And you chronicled the recipe. Define, if you would, or describe what kalas are. You serve yours with a blackberry compote. Yeah, I mean, and that's just, you can serve them with any kind of jam or whatever, you know. But they're, I would say they're a fritter. Um, They're a, a... like a loose batter, they're made with leftover rice, and, a, and we add water to the rice so that it's very much like a porridge, mm-hmm. you know, very soft rice. And they're dropped by the spoonful into hot oil. And that's kind of the, those are the two differences, I think, between that and a beignet. Beignets are, they don't have rice in them, and they're rolled out and cut and then fried. So these are, I would say, more akin to a hush puppy because they're dropped by the spoonful into the hot oil. Mm. You made me so hungry just now. They're very good. I actually like them better than beignets. And perfect for breakfast or perfect for afternoon or perfect for dessert after dinner. Perfect for all of those things, yes. Or any time you find an excuse to eat a collage. I love it. I have a big pile of recipes that are my go-to, what I call to-do And they're all the recipes from chefs and comrades and experts like yourself who join us on the radio, who share all this beautiful wealth of knowledge. And every week I try to get to a recipe or two. Please know that on my Mardi Gras menu, I plan to make collage. 
and I will credit you for sure. And for those that would love to make them for the big celebration in the Big Easy, whether you are celebrating in New Orleans or otherwise, we've posted the recipe once again at chefjamie.com. And you can learn more about Giselle Perez's wonderful native love for New Orleans and her style of cooking along with follow her blog for all the fabulous food. I would tell you, Giselle, I would actually consider paying big money for a traditional mufalata right now. Uh, there's nothing better to me than a mufalata in the quarter. There really isn't. Uh, well, I'm more partial to poor boys, but okay. Uh, okay, well then I'll meet you there. We can each have a different sandwich. I'm making mini mufaladas this year, so if you want to come over, we could have a throwdown at my house. That'd be great. I like the plan. I actually, plan. a couple of years ago, had a seafood mufalata in New Orleans, so kind of pushing the envelope, but combining maybe poor boys and mufaladas. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. You can actually, I'm sure, search for the recipe um, and find a really beautiful blog that chronicles Giselle's love for New Orleans and the tradition of her family history at panperdublog.com, P-A-I-N-P-E-R-D-U blog.com, panperdublog.com. It was a pleasure, Giselle. Thank you for dishing on New Orleans with us. And laissez les bon temps brûlés, a very happy Mardi Gras to you. And same to you. Thank you. We do love a celebration, and we know you have a taste for life, so we thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in next Sunday when there is more delicious conversation in your radio. We'll leave you with our last bite, and the Oscar goes to. Lana, your best idea for Oscar festivities this evening? Uh, make make your own star-shaped tortilla chips. Take uh, corn tortillas and a star press. A press cutter. them out. Fabulous. Bake them and uh, you have a star-studded and gluten-free chip. Oh, I love that. And I'm putting out a bunch of retro, old-fashioned movie candy, hoping that everyone will feel the theater experience. We hope that you enjoy a beautiful Oscar evening with fabulous food and that your week is filled with delicious things as well. Check out ChefJamie.com as we're always serving up seconds and meet us here in your radio next Sunday. Sunday, please. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana signing off. Thank you for listening. We hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Oh!